Welcome to the Week Ahead in Russia, RFBRL's Monday podcast about significant developments and upcoming events in Moscow and beyond. I'm Steve Gutterman, and my guest today is Jana Nemtsova, a Russian journalist and now a co-host and executive producer of a new podcast called Another Russia, uh, whose first episode aired one week ago on July 25th on Crooked Media. And the second episode actually uh, just aired today. Uh, welcome, Jana, and thank you very much for joining me. Hello, Steve. Thank you for having me today. All right. It's great to uh, talk to you. Now, what I didn't mention in the introduction is that you are the daughter of the late Boris Nemtsov, the Russian regional governor, first deputy prime minister, and opposition leader who was shot dead on a bridge very near the Kremlin on February 27th, 2015. Uh, John, let's talk about your new podcast. It's about your father and what happened to him, but it's also about uh, Russia more broadly. Is that right? Tell us about it, uh, maybe starting with the title, Another Russia. Uh, so I just would like to add to what you have already said, that I'm also the co-founder of the Borsens of Foundation that I established in Germany in 2015. So uh, Another Russia, it is a podcast Uh about Russia after the collapse of the Soviet Union, but through the lens of my family's story, actually through the story of my father and my own story. And uh, as far as I know, there are a lot of podcasts about Russia, but most of them are focused on the personality of one man, who is Vladimir Putin. And... There is, in my opinion, a misleading um, notion that Russia uh, is Putin. Russia is represented only by Putin and the overwhelming majority of Russians uh, support Putin, which is not true. In reality, uh, Russia is quite a polarized country and there are uh, 30, probably 40% of Russians who are actually represented by my father. So, uh, of course, the, uh, the regime of Putin wants to make sure that everybody thinks that Boris Nemtsov is not popular in our country, that he has never been popular in our country, but that is not true. Russia is a complex country. So when uh, as you've asked me about the title, uh, so the fact is that we produced this podcast with Ben Rhodes for Crooked Media, which is quite a new media company, but it's one of the leading podcast studios in the United States of America uh, and Crooked Media is known for the fact that it's not just a media company so they do not hide uh, their intention to uh, trigger a debate and to uh, motivate activists to fight for democratic rights and freedoms so it's also like an activist company. And uh, their mission, so their view is that we should always be optimistic about whatever we speak about. And that is why, so we discussed the title uh, during our brainstorming sessions. And we discussed 
like 50 different uh, names, like Lost Russia, Hopeless Russia. And then we finally came up with another Russia, which employs a leap of optimism about our country, though I can understand that now it is probably the worst time to be an optimist. However, I think that if you're hopeless, you cannot act. And if we want change in Russia, we need people who can uh, promote that change and who at some point of time can implement reforms in our country. Absolutely. That, uh, that's very interesting uh, the way you, you uh, reach a decision on the title. I mean, I've, I've always, uh, I think I've always seen Boris Nemtsov as, as in fact a representative of another Russia, at least since, uh, since his killing. Um, but, but even before that, and I'll just go into a little bit of personal uh uh, recollections. Um, I, you know, one one thing I, I covered when I was living in uh, in Russia uh, for for many years was uh, the mayoral election in Sochi, which I believe was two thousand nine. I hope I'm not getting that wrong. Um, but uh, Boris himself was running for mayor, and um, it was kind of a contest that really. Uh, you know, showed how, I mean, Medvedev was president at the time, uh, Putin was on his, his hiatus, but it was, um, it was a contest that showed how much pressure there was and, and is uh, on the opposition. Um, it was kind of a, uh, I mean, I would say a valiant effort by, by your father, um, uh, but one that showed how much pressure uh, the government you know, on all levels was putting on on its opponents, uh, so it was the kind of thing um, that uh, that really encapsulated the way Russia had been headed, uh, you know, for the for almost a decade, uh, and and uh, and continued to be headed, uh, you know, up until now. Um, so, you know, and I think that when when Boris himself was shot, you know, I think many people who who knew him or knew you know knew of him knew something about him really had the same kind of feeling that this was kind of a watershed uh, uh, event. I mean, I hate to call it an event, but something that just was uh, very indicative of what was happening in Russia and, and what the cost, you know, of opposing, uh, opposing the government, opposing Putin um, could, could be. Now, um, I'd like to ask... Uh, also about um, the the timing of the podcast. Now, essentially, question is why now? Um, the webpage for Another Russia describes uh, your father Boris Nemtsov as um, quote a relentless critic of Putin, corruption, and war in Ukraine. Now, indeed, uh, your father was a vocal critic of the war that erupted in the Donbass uh, in eastern Ukraine after Russia fomented separatism there uh, and across, across parts of eastern, southern, and other areas of Ukraine in 2014. And when he was killed, uh, Boris himself had been working on a report about Russia's involvement and Putin's involvement in that war, which, of course, um, is the same war, really, that Putin escalated in a massive way with the invasion of Ukraine on February 24th of this year. 
um, almost exactly seven years after the assassination of Borisnev. So, Shana, is the decision to create this podcast, Another Russia, and the timing of it kind of linked to Russia's war on Ukraine? If I just want to comment on one important thing you just said about uh, my father's campaign in Sochi in 2009, when he ran for the mayor of Sochi ahead of the Olympic Games. Uh, And yes, Medvedev was president, and we discussed with Ben Rhodes that uh, the U.S. administration was pretty sure that Russia was more or less on the right track and they didn't pay attention to this campaign. And during the campaign, my father was attacked and uh, someone uh, threw a toxic fluid into his face uh, at that time. So uh, it was a pretty unpleasant experience for my father, but the international community did not pay attention to that. They thought that Medvedev would bring modernization to a country, and they were very much impressed when President Medvedev came to the United States of America and he uh, met with Steve Jobs and they shook hands and he tried to produce an impression how progressive he was using his gadgets, including iPhone, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that we, I think that I'm not sure that we discussed it for one of the episodes, but still, it's worth mentioning about the timing. So uh, the reality is that it takes a lot of time to produce a narrative podcast. It is actually a documentary, an audio documentary, and we started to discuss it uh, in late 2020. And I pitched this idea at that time. In 2021, we discussed the whole idea and the dramatic structure with the producers at Crooked Media. And only in September 2021, we started to work on it. So we started to create the actual script. I worked with Dasha Lisitsina. Dasha Lisitsina was born uh, in Russia, but uh, when she was a kid, she moved to the United, United Kingdom. And she uh, graduated from Oxford, and then she also completed her master's degree at Columbia School of Journalism. Uh, so, to, like the bottom line is that we started to work on 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 that podcast well before the invasion of Ukraine. So, and initially we wanted to release it like in early 2023, but when. Uh, Putin invaded Ukraine, of course, Crooked Media decided to speed up the whole process and we started to work really hard. Uh, We uh, um, did like, I don't know, uh, three recordings uh, in different countries together with Ben Rhodes. So we spent like seven days uh, recording. Uh, And of course, I think that now because of the invasion of Ukraine, Uh, This podcast is even more relevant because my father was one of few Russian opposition politicians who understood Putin's intentions very, very early. Actually, after the annexation of Crimea, he published his very famous post on Facebook, uh, 10 
key uh, takeaways of the annexation of Crimea. So he basically predicted uh, the full-scale war we are unfortunately witnessing now. And he, uh, his famous quote right now uh, is, Putin means war and crisis. And that explains it all uh, about Putin. And in Russia, he is regarded as a political prophet. Uh, he is a political visionary. And also in Ukraine, he is probably one of the most respected Russians right now. And, you know, I have some personal conversations, phone conversations with uh, some Ukrainian politicians, including Vitaly Klitschko, who is the mayor of Kiev. And he called me probably one month ago and he asked me, why did your father actually know all of it? I do not understand. I keep watching his videos and I'm so much impressed. It's like a miracle. So, and that is true. And that's why it's very, very relevant right now to have this podcast and probably to have another angle on Russia, uh, not to focus only on Vladimir Putin. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's great. Um, I mean, personally, I think it's great to be drawing attention to, you know, there is a lot of focus on Putin. Certainly, I focus on him a lot. Um, and to, and, and I think I would say that that was sort of, that's been sort of the, the point of, uh, you know, and that's why the Kremlin doesn't mention Alexei Navalny's by name. Uh, it's the kind of thing where they did just try to discount uh, somebody, somebody who is, in fact, a viable alternative, as uh, as I think was mentioned in your first podcast uh, edition. Maybe um, Boris Yeltsin said um, at one point that Boris Nemtsov, you know, could could be president. Um, and that was certainly something that people were thinking of, um, you know, at the time. Uh, and also just going back to your thanks for for pointing out that that uh, very important detail of the Sochi campaign, um, you know, an attack on your father. And that was just, you know, that was one of the forms of pressure, a very, very, very serious physical form of pressure um, at the time. Uh, and, you know, there were other kinds of pressure during that campaign. You know, he was unable to to uh, get venues to to speak uh and and uh things like that uh so so there were a lot of forms of pressure that that i that sort of we encountered um that were being put on on boris himself during that campaign and and also interesting that you point out that this was in 2009 during uh medvedev's presidency at a time when the West was, you know, to some degree banking on Medvedev really bringing, bringing change. And I think his trip to the U.S. came not too long after that, less than a year after that, that Sochi campaign. Um, so, yes, as you say, I, I guess, you know, now it's hard, it's almost hard to imagine that given the kind of attention that's on Russia now and the way it's, it's viewed, um, you know, but at the time, uh, maybe people in the West were, you know, were not focused uh, in the same way that they that they are now, and th- th- I guess that ties into what you're saying also about your father's opposition to the aggression in Ukraine from the beginning, really, um, which was not which was quite, I would say, unusual, and you know, um, war and crisis certainly is a very 
pithy, succinct description of what what Putin has brought, you know, now. So, um, so I think that is prophetic, uh, you know, in a, in a very grim way, of course. Um, I, I just want to ask another question before we uh, move on to to questions. Um, and and I during the campaign in Sochi and a couple of other times, I, I did spend a little time, not uh, not really very close, but, you know, walking around with Boris Nemtsov you know, on his campaign, uh, campaign outings, uh, stumping. Um, what, what is your sort of, you know, obviously, you know, you, what is your kind of main impression of your father? What, what do you, uh, what kind of, do you remember most about him? So it's quite a strange question. What's my impression of my father? Uh, because uh, he's my father and I uh, regarded him as my father. We had a very uh, close uh, personal uh, relationship with my father. Uh, and uh, I would say we were like soulmates. We understood each other quite well and we shared almost everything with uh, each other and discussed a lot of things, not only politics. My father liked to talk about politics all the time, but also we, of course, discussed some personal things. So uh, I think that the main trait of character of my father is that he was an optimist no matter what uh, he inspired other people and whenever I was depressed I was stressed out I would uh, come to my father's place to talk about my really minor problems and he would always cheer me up and that I liked that uh, about him a lot. He was a very charismatic person and he was not an arrogant person, which is very rare, at least in our country, uh, for people like my father, because my father was an establishment politician, uh, but he did not grow arrogant. Uh, he spoke uh, with everybody. He was on an equal footing with everybody. And that attracted basically a lot of people to him. People like really flocked to him because uh, of his openness to, to people. And he was very empathetic uh, to, to, to almost everybody. And he tried to help if he could help. So that's uh, that's 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 my impression. He was quite a rare person. Uh, he was a very warm personality, of course, but he was also a public figure, and he liked publicity so much. He liked uh, making public speeches, and I, I was present at some of his public speeches. And he would always come up to me, and he would ask, "Did you like my speech?" How was I? Did you did you listen to my interview? Did you like my interview? Why didn't you like my interview? The, my interview was really great. So, <laughs> he, yeah, he well, had I'm an sorry, ironic sense maybe of humor. a somewhat strange question for you know for. for no, no, uh, I, I'm I'm good. I'm good. I, I I hope that I managed to answer your question. Yeah, but uh, he he was really a very a very rare person, and I think uh, my love for him is actually the main driving force to do what I'm doing with the podcast, with the Boer Center Foundation, and et cetera. 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much for that. Uh, you know, um, I think that really did convey kind of your your relationship uh, and 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 a lot of things about about Boris Nemtsov. Um, you know, that some people may not know. So thanks for that. Um, let's let's. Uh, I'm getting a little short on time, but I'd like to take some questions. Um, so if anyone has any questions, please uh, let us know in one of the three ways that I've described to um, uh, ask questions about about uh, Boris Nemtsov, about the, the podcast and other Russia. Uh, please go ahead. Okay, so I'll just give it a few more moments uh, if anyone has any questions. Okay, I guess we have a shy crew here today, um, but uh, so I will uh, move on uh, unless any questions pop up, um, but let's uh, wrap it up here then. Uh, Jana, thanks very much for your time. Um, I think we have a question request. One sec. Uh, okay. Hi, uh, Nasreddy, you can speak. Uh, yes, can you hear me? Yes. Uh, thank you so much for this this great sharing. Uh, my name is Philip Nubel. I'm the managing editor of Global Voices, which is a citizen journalist uh, portal focusing also on Russia and Ukraine and also writing uh, in many languages, including Russian. My question to you, Jana, is in your view, when you see the um, opposition to Putin especially scattered now all over Europe mostly, but also in other places. In which way do you think, or wh which part of your father's heritage can be the most useful and inspire them to really have some effect both at home in Russia, but also to educate a lot of politicians uh, across Europe? I'm based in the Czech Republic, so you probably know how complicated the relations are between Russia and the Czech Republic. Uh, so I'm, I'm just curious of, you know, what is really practical in, in everything that he did and he said that could be used today to really uh, get us to some practical action. Thank you so much also for your share. Okay, thank you for your question. Actually, I work in the Czech Republic so much. Uh, we uh, had the worst of School of Journalism in Prague uh, and uh, we completed it uh, last Friday. And we are going to have a lot of a lot of projects uh, in Prague. For example, we're going to um, launch the Russian language master's program at the Faculty of Arts at Charles University with the support of the Faculty of Social Sciences. So we are going to launch it actually next year. So we're doing a lot of work in the Czech Republic, uh, and I know that there are some problems getting you know, residence permits, etc., for the citizens of Russia, but still uh, 
the Czech government is quite supportive as well as the uh, Czech academia. So on your question, so actually the reality is, the sad news is that uh, uh, all our main opposition leaders who uh, chose to stay in Russia or to return in Russia, like in Alexei Navalny's case, are now in jail. I mean, Alexei Navalny himself, who returned to Russia in early 2021. I mean, Ilya Yashin, who decided to stay in Russia and to speak out against the brutal war uh, in Ukraine. He is now in jail, and Vladimir Karolmurza is also in jail. So uh, we, a lot of censorship laws were imposed, a lot of uh, repressive laws were imposed, and the Russian government actually persecutes everyone uh, who courageously speaks up against the war with Ukraine, not only popular famous people, but also regular people uh, in our country, which is bad. And that is the reason why many people decided to flee Russia. Uh, well, my father, actually, uh, if you talk about his political legacy, he believed in enlightenment. Uh, he believed in education very much. And that's why he uh, wrote a lot of anti-corruption reports that exposed grand corruption in the Russian elites. And then he distributed those reports uh, uh, across Russia. He did it himself. He would go out to the streets of Yaroslavl, Nizhny Novgorod, Moscow, St. Petersburg, and he would distribute those uh, reports. And he would talk to people. In my case, I think that uh, because, uh, like, a new generation of Russian politicians, political leaders, they uh, do not have any experience in governance. Uh, unlike my father, because my father rose to prominence in the 90s and he was governor of the province of Nizhny Novgorod. He worked in the government. He held senior positions. So he was a very experienced statesman. And that uh, was a great advantage. So what we now have to do here, we have to uh, offer programs for, uh, for the future uh, Russian political leaders to educate them uh, on good governance, on how to implement successful re reforms, et cetera, et cetera. I know that it sounds really boring and like Russian activists and the politicians don't want to listen to that, but that is very, very important to understand how to promote change. Because it's one thing to oust Putin from power, which is the most important thing to do, but we also have to think about the next steps. Uh, and we there were a lot of mistakes made uh, in Russia in the 90s. We should try to avoid those mistakes to be repeated in the future. And just uh, my last note, uh, it's an optimistic one. Our past does not define our future. Thanks. Okay, great answer. Thanks for that. Um, and uh, any, any other questions? Um... I think we have one more request. Uh, truth and social justice, you can speak.
truth and social justice. I think your mic is off if you're trying to speak now. Okay. Um, let's see if that listener does ask the question. Meanwhile, um, can move on if there any if there's anyone else uh, with a, with a question. Can... Oh, I see he posted this question under the uh, tweet. So he asks, um, what are your hopes for justice in your father's assassination? Any appeal to international jurisdictions or Interpol? Thanks for this question. I've been working hard trying to promote justice for my father. Uh, so the investigation in Russia uh, is in a deadlock, so they intentionally do not do anything to uh, answer two uh, most important questions, which are who masterminded my father's assassination and what was the motive behind my father's murder. So we understand that it was a politically motivated uh, murder, and I I'm pretty sure that uh, Putin was involved personally. I was not that sure before the invasion of Ukraine, but now I'm sure. <laughs> of course, they do not want to conduct any investigation uh, against themselves, which I can uh, perfectly understand. So their uh, legal practice is that no country allows other countries to be uh, involved in any criminal investigations inside uh, inside the country. So Russia does not permit other countries or the international community or any international organizations to be involved in the criminal investigation unless uh, this country requests, requests it. So as we understand, Russia... Uh, doesn't want to ask for help, and that's why we cannot do anything about that. But what we uh, did uh, in the past, we actually uh, uh, initiated a number of uh, oversight procedures within the framework of the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe and the OSCE, uh, and they published their reports so I think that is important uh, to, uh, for me that the international community uh, acknowledges that it was uh, a politically motivated assassination and they also call for a fair and transparent um, investigation and they point out to some uh, problems within this investigation which we, those documents will be needed in the future to finally ensure uh, that the case uh, is solved. Thank you. I would just add, um, it is one of Boris Nemtsov's killing is one of several um, murders of, of um Opponents, critics of the Kremlin, uh, opposition politicians, uh, um, investigative journalists that has 
has not essentially not been solved. In other words, in which uh, the masterminds, as, as John mentioned, um, uh, mastermind or masterminds have not been you know, identified and uh, much less uh, prosecuted. So that is, you know, it's one of the things that continues to to happen in Russia uh, is killings um, that are not solved uh, and potentially because uh, you know, that it comes too close to the Kremlin. So that's that's another aspect. Um, uh, if, does anyone else have any have a question? Uh, we have time for I think uh, one more. If there are if there is any. I don't know if I can ask another question, but if not, that's, I understand. That's fine. Uh, do we have any others? Uh, if not, I, um, please go ahead. So I know you also mentioned that in, in, in view to Ukraine, but I know that, I mean, I, I grew up in the Soviet Union in Central Asia, so I was always very uh, familiar with the issue and sensitive, but it's the issue of underknowledge Russian colonialism within its own borders of even today's Russia, but also extending to the former Soviet space. And Jana, because you represent precisely the next generation, what is it that I work for a civil society group? What is it that we can all do together to help mainstream Russians, including those who are abroad and some who call themselves liberal, to really understand that one of the key elements, the key starting points is actually to decolonize your own history, your own attitudes, and not just, of course, towards Ukraine, but also towards Central Asia, the South and the North Caucasus. And to me, it's a question that is really bothering me is what is it that we can do to make this idea accessible and again, effective? Thank you. Uh, thanks for that question. Uh, I think you, you've just raised a very important issue uh, which is being discussed uh, in Russia, not on a large scale, of course. Well, uh, it takes a lot of time and effort, but the only way to change is to explain all those things to people and not to get tired, not to get nervous, not to get irritated explaining those things to others. Uh, what I do, not on a very large scale, of course, but the Board Center Foundation is not a very big organization, at least now, but uh, what I do, how I try to overcome uh, those uh, perceptions, those sentiments, uh, is that, for example, I bring, uh, on our journalistic programs, I bring people not only from Russia, but also from other countries like Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, uh, Kazakhstan, etc., etc. So it's we need something um, on a larger scale. We th- we need uh, in Russia in the fu- in the future, of course, not now. Now it's impossible. Like Erasmus. So this idea of Erasmus, uh, the biggest European exchange pro- programs, is to overcome those um, uh, attitudes, uh, those negative attitudes uh, in, uh, in, in the European Union. Uh, and we need the same program for Russia, the, those exchange programs so people can speak to each other, can learn about other cultures. I, I assume that Russians know very little about 
uh, other cultures present uh, in the post-Soviet space. And that's how we can, uh, we can overcome this problem. Okay, thanks very much, Jana. Um, any more questions? Uh, if not, I will um, start to wrap it up here. Um, and um, thanks for to those who did ask questions and to those who, who were just listening. Uh, and Jana, thank you very much for your time and your thoughts and insights and, and your recollections. Steve, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who, who've been listening to us. All right. And once again, I've been speaking to Jana Nemtsova, co-host and executive producer of the new podcast, Another Russia. Uh, the second episode of Another Russia just came out today, and it's called Beautiful Russia of Tomorrow. So give that a listen. Uh, and my name is Steve Gutterman, editor for Russia, Ukraine and Belarus at RFERL. Uh, as I mentioned at the start, this conversation will also be published as a podcast, and you can subscribe to The Week Ahead in Russia on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll be back next Monday for another edition of The Week Ahead in Russia. Thanks for listening.